Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. You know, that was a working title, and uh, I never got it because uh, you know I, I usually want to do something more but more uplifting, but uh, I just had to have something when the breath was working and. That's just what it stayed at. Bad things happen. Well, um, but before we get into that, you know, um, I do want to totally embarrass Nate or sorry, Josh Ivanoff. Um, so for state championship win yesterday, yeah, great little cap for his senior year. Um, we rejoice with him, and uh, it was a fun game. It was it was great to watching it. So now, uh, before we begin, uh, um, we've been been going over First Peter, and uh, there's this little section in the first chapter, um, verses three to five. That was kind of like a little doxology, like we sang, um, which is just to kind of sum up. And so what I've been doing is is this thing like bopping or something? Yeah, sorry. Um, we've been reading it together aloud uh, to the start for the start of the service um, sermon. So, if you don't mind, let's read First Peter chapter three, or sorry, chapter one, verses three to five aloud together. Praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. All right. Thank you. Um... So the other day, um, I think I think it was actually Thursday. I was a, uh, I was flipping through um, a book, uh, a grief, a grief of, um, and it's a journal that C.S. Lewis wrote after the death of his wife to cancer. They'd only been married for like three years. Um, they, they were married first, but it was just a legal marriage so that she could be in the country, and then like, kind of fell in love with her, and then it was, they actually had a real marriage, but only for like three years, and then she died. And it is just a beautiful um, rumination of grief and of faith. And, and one of the things I love is that Lewis doesn't give any easy answers in that book. Because, um, uh, and if you know me by now, uh, you know I don't really believe in easy answers. Um, I don't really believe in, in prescriptive faith, right, in, in formulas. Uh, because trusting God's not a formula, and prayer is not like casting a magic spell where you're just like, "Oh, I'm gonna pray and it's gonna happen." Right? It's a relationship. Uh, discipleship is submitting into a relationship with Jesus, allowing Him to transform you, right? And you, you and that you transform more into the real you you were created to be, and more like Jesus, taking on His characteristics and His priorities. Anyways, I was I was flipping through this book, and. Uh, I had a paperclip 
on this this page. I don't remember when I last read it. And I don't know why the paperclip was there. I don't know why I didn't just highlight it. But I wanted to share a bit of what was on that page. You never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. It's easy to say you believe a rope to be strong and sound as long as you are merely using it to cord a box. But suppose you had to hang by the rope over a precipice. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? I'm going to skip over a few sentences. Only real risk tests the reality of belief. Apparently the faith, I thought of faith, which enables me to pray for the other dead, seems strong only because I never really cared. Not desperately, whether they existed or not. Yet I thought I did. Uh, when he was faced with sorrow... Uh, real, personal sorrow and grief, uh, Lewis realized how shallow his faith really was. And it, it wasn't that he, he didn't believe, it's just that what he believed wasn't worth much. Not when it really mattered. He didn't know how to trust it. Um, he, he didn't even realize how little he, he cared. Not in his heart of hearts. Right? And he, he would say prayers without really meaning them, right? Like we pray every Sunday. But, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to mean it. It's hard to be brokenhearted about it. But his suffering and his pain, it re they taught him, it revealed to him his real faith, what his faith was really like. And at this point of his life, he was already a famous Christian, right? He'd already written books about faith and apologetics. He wrote Mere Christianity and The Problem with Pain. And he'd written... He had written his spiritual autobiography, Surprised by Joy, and he'd written science fiction novels, you know, the Space Trilogy, and he'd written The Chronicles of Narnia. So, you know, he had tons of stuff. And those are all great. I love them. And he'd that known sorrow before. But losing his wife? That just crushed him. That just crushed him. It hurt him so much he wondered if he even knew what faith was. And this is not a new problem, right? People have always struggled with how to understand their faith in times of pain and sorrow and suffering. There's, there's even a, a fancy word for it, theodicy. Theodicy is the like, attempt to answer why God allows evil and suffering to exist. They've been, people have been thinking about this for thousands of years. Thousands of years. And I don't know if any of them have any real answers that stand up to the question. I mean, even Lewis, he thought he had an answer. He, he wrote this answer in A Problem of Pain. Um, we can ignore, this is what he wrote in Problem of Pain. We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now, it sounds pretty good, right? So I, I like that. I'm, I'm like, yeah, that's good. But when he was, his wife was dying, after she died, that didn't bring him any comfort. Okay, there's your megaphone, God. I hear you. <laughs> he was still brokenhearted. He still doubted the goodness of God. In the face of pain, understanding the why does little to help the feelings, the emotions. But there's something going on in the pain. There's something that going on in the middle of the suffering of personal experiences. And I know this is a long introduction uh, to the main scripture for today, but I wanted to explain 
that these are common feelings. The doubts and fears that creep up in the face of emotional pain is normal. That's what the Apostle Peter is going to be addressing in our scripture today. Um, he's going to be addressing with how to deal with suffering. And, and to set the stage, this, this letter was written when Christianity was still in its infancy. right? But it made bold claims about Jesus being the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the King of all creation. It upset everyone. Roman authorities, Jewish religious leaders, and, and, and just regular good citizens of the empire. Persecution was common. Sometimes it was officially endorsed and perpetuated by the government, but sometimes not. Sometimes it would just be looked away. Sometimes it would just be people talking nasty about them and shortchanging them in the market, right? Not inviting them, kind of excluding them from the community. So, so the Christians that Peter was writing to, they knew suffering. And even if they hadn't been persecuted themselves, they heard stories, and they knew people that suffered. And they'd wonder, hey, is that going to happen to me? When is that going to happen to me? So that's all set in the stage. Let's go ahead and read First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised by the at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice in some, as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for the judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and of the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Bad things happen. They just do. Uh, Peter, Peter warns us that bad things happen right in life, right? Do not be surprised at the fire or ordeal that comes to test you. That's one thing you can count on. People, you will lose somebody that you love. You will. And uh, you will sometimes see dreams die. And you're going to have a broken heart. And sometimes when things are just terrible and you feel like it's never going to get worse, it can't get any worse. It'll get worse in ways you couldn't even imagine. That's, that's life. Um, the writer of Ecclesiastes wrote in chapter 9, verse 11, The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. No matter how strong you are, no matter how wise and prudent your decisions, no matter how well you do in school or how smart you are, Bad things will happen to you. That's a consequence of living in the fallen world. Things will be as they should not be. Things will be unfair. Things will be random. Things will at times seem unbearable. And, and, and there will be times when, as far as you can tell, you did everything right. And it will still seem like everything is working against you. Um, this is the real world. Right? Not a fantasy. 
is we need a faith, a faith that can sustain us in this real world, a faith that can endure under these circumstances. And I'm referring to that Lewis quote I read earlier. We need a faith that we can trust with our lives when we're hanging from a cliff, not just a faith that's good enough for tying boxes together. You will face suffering. And to be clear, there, there's, all, there's different types of suffering, right? Not all suffering is the same. Um, there's suffering as a consequence of bad decisions. Uh, Peter mentions that. You shouldn't be surprised if the lies we tell you know, comes back to haunt us. We shouldn't be surprised that if we hurt someone, there may be consequences. That kind of suffering is kind of understandable. We may not like it, especially when we're in the middle of it, but we kind of understand that, right? You, what goes around comes around. You get what's coming to you. But then there's suffering that seems to happen because of reasons outside of our control. And those could be natural things like sickness and earthquakes and, and other things like that. Or they can be the result of someone else's bad choices, like, like being hit by a drunk driver or being the victim of abuse or uh, racism or sexism, right? And there's some helpful words here that Peter gives in chapter 5. We're going to go over those next week. Then there's another type of suffering. There's a suffering for doing good. Unjust suffering. Suffering because you make a choice to do what is right and good and kind, even though it might ruffle some feathers, even though it may make you unpopular, even though it may turn somebody against you. And that's the kind of suffering that Christ endured, right? He who committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. That's Jesus. There will be times when you have to suffer for doing good, suffering because you stand by the convictions of your faith, even though there may be consequences that befall you. And, and there's lots of examples around the world because uh, globally, Christianity is still a very persecuted, a very persecuted group. But we live in the U.S. and we're fortunate enough not to have that same kind of persecution. Okay, I, I, I don't want to compare somebody being rude to you because, you know, you say some Bible quote with somebody that's being killed because they, you know, have a Bible t-shirt or something. Those are different things. But there are still ways that we, we suffer for our faith in this world. Um, that's a little closer. For example, uh, whistleblowers. Um, I, I was looking at this. Whistleblowers are people that are inside a company or organization, and they find out that there's some wrongdoing that's being ignored or covered up, and they report it. And so I was like reading up on this. I don't know why, because I'm a nerd. And uh, I was reading up on it, and um, experts, they were kind of talking about, like, what are the characteristics? How could you tell who a whistleblower is going to be? Well, they almost all tend to be religious. They almost all tend to have a faith, right? And their faith gives them the conviction to do something about what they see, regardless of the ne negative consequences they could face. Um, this, this was certainly the case with this uh, woman, Cheryl Eckerd. Uh, has anybody heard of her? She worked in quality control uh, for a pharmaceutical company. And she was inspecting a plant. She saw some of the equipment uh, wasn't working right. And it was making some of the drugs too strong or not strong enough. And there was a place where they were making medicine that had to be injected and the area wasn't kept sterile. 
And she knew that if they'd make reports, there'd be a backlash, right? The, but the conditions were so terrible. It was unsafe. So she did it. People would suffer or she did nothing. So she made a report detailing all the problems. And she faced the consequences for it. They fired her. Uh, she was fired for doing the right thing. But even worse, they didn't make change, the necessary changes at that medical plant. But she felt convicted. She was a Christian, and she felt convicted. They weren't being safe. This is a big deal, right? And it haunted her. Because at first she was like, okay, well, I tried. But she felt convicted. So she went, went public with her claims, and the company was investigated, right? And there were all sorts of things filed. A, a found. A big lawsuit was filed, and the pharmaceutical was ordered to pay $750 million in fines. And that's what they agreed to. That was the settlement. <laughs> right? Suffering for doing what is good, what is right, what your convictions call you to do. But maybe that's too abstract. Maybe you need something a little bit more personal. So this is another example for suffering for doing good. Uh, when I was in seminary, my wife Alyssa was doing our taxes and she found an error. Um, and she was like, huh, I wonder if I made this error before. And, and so she went back, you know, the year before and she found she made the same error that year. And then she went back and she found the same error than the year before that. And the year before that. And that's as long as we had been married at the time. So, and I, I don't know what the example, what the error was because I don't understand things like that. But my wife does. And the end result was that we owed the IRS a lot of money. And they didn't know it, but we did. Now, I was in seminary, and we had some savings that we'd set aside, um, well, because we were just saving. And uh, we didn't have kids, so we had we had crazy money, like, hey, we're grown-ups, we have money. And uh, we didn't have children. And um, so, but we were in seminary, and we thought we'd kind of live off this money for a while, or maybe if we could even hold it for whenever I got out of seminary so we could live off of it while I tried to find a job. But we thought about it, and we prayed about it, and was like, no, we have to self-report it. We have to tell them, tell it to them, to the IRS. Now, there's some part of me that really hoped that they would say, thank you for being honest. You, We are so great for you. You do not have to pay back that money. But, uh, that is not what happened. <laughs> they went over all of our records. <laughs> um, they really investigated us. I was like, we're trying to be honest. And like, you're like digging in even deeper. Um, they didn't find anything else. But, but they did make us pay that money that we owed them. And even worse, they actually made us pay interest on the money that we owed them. Like we've been keeping it from them on purpose. So, uh, so we had to pay them and it wiped out our savings. And the next three years of seminary were a lot more financially challenging than we expected. But we knew we were wrong and we had to do something to make it right. Um, we may not suffer for our faith in the same way as many people around the world do. I don't want to compare that. But our love of Christ and our desire to follow him should lead us into doing things that are hard that may not be advantageous for us, that may cause us to suffer. 
all of us are going to face times when we're not sure what to do and we suffer for it. I mean, how many of us have had family or friends that have dealt with issues of addiction or mental health issues? And, and you feel a responsibility to help them, but you don't know how to help them. And you love them. And uh, you don't know if um, your actions are going to be helping them or enabling them. And so you have to fearfully pray, what do I do? What do I do, God? What's the right thing to do? That's suffering. That's a type of suffering. And it's suffering based upon your convictions to love, to be loving. But we know that we're in these painful situations because we love these people. And we're called to be in their life. That's the way we suffer for our faith. Or, or how many of you had to deal with a mental health crisis just last night? Just last night, guys, right? Um, there was an individual that was having some sort of traumatic episode. And they were trying to, to come into the church, right, to, to bust in here. Um, and uh, they had to be, be removed from our guests because they, you know, they were banging on the door. And, uh, and you know, they, so they answered the door and she tried to burst in and they're like, no, and they had to get her out. And um, so, and I was coming in to meet with the, the team just to say hey. And she was outside and she was yelling and cussing and screaming. And so, you know, I, you know, I said, hey, what's wrong? And she's screaming at me and she's cursing at me and she's threatening me. And she said she needed medical attention. She had to go inside. She needed medical attention. I was like, well, okay, well, let me call 911 for you. Uh, and I called and I waited with her. She kept insulting me. She didn't want to talk to them. She didn't want to talk to anybody. And she was threatening them. And she was threatening me and cursing at me. But I waited with her. I just sat and waited. Well, actually, I didn't sit because it was cold outside. I stood and waited with them. And now these guys are being responsible, right, because it wouldn't have been responsible to let her in with all the kids because you know, who knows what she was like. But it would have been easy just to, just to call the cops, come inside, and ignore her. But I, I felt the conviction that this is somebody that is a child of God. I got I got to hang out with her. I don't know what's what's wrong with her. I don't know what she's going to do. I don't know who, what's going on. So, so I sat with her, or I stayed with her. I talked with her. I made sure she didn't hurt herself or anyone else. I put up with the curses and insults to try as best as I'm able in that situation to be a blessing, because Christ has blessed me and He's called me to be a blessing to those around me. Right? Those are situations you just walk into. You walk into and you have a choice. Like, what, what, what did Christ do in this situation? How can I follow Christ in this situation? And we always have to have, have to decide whether or not we'll choose to do the hard, uncomfortable, inconvenient thing. Or just take care of ourselves. Do we do what Christ would do? Or we just do what we would want to do. And people of God, we need to learn to choose Christ. We choose Christ in the little things so that we can choose Christ in those harder things, when those harder things come up. We make it a habit. We build it up, right? We learn how to trust God in the small so we can be given the big. Peter even calls Christians to rejoice when they suffer. First uh, Peter 4.16, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Uh, 
back in Peter's time, being called a Christian, it was an insult. Um, it wasn't the name that they came up with themselves. That's what the Gentiles called them, as an insult. Because uh, being associated with Christ was a bad thing, a shameful thing, right? But Peter tells us to praise God that we can be of Christ, that we can bear part of his name. And why? Why should we rejoice in suffering? Because suffering teaches us how to be like Jesus. It makes Jesus real. Peter doesn't tell us why bad things happen. But what he does tell us is that our suffering will not be in vain. It will not be in vain. God will use it to pour out his spirit upon us. And, and, and Paul says it again in Romans uh, 5, verses 3 through 5. Not only so, but we also in glory, also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Uh, no, no explanation is given to why we suffer. But God will use tr our tragedy to reveal more of himself to us, to give us more love, to open us up to more and more of his spirit. Um, there's a reason why. Uh, when you think of people that you know with like the best, the closest relationships with God. And you talk to them and you hear their stories. You hear stories of heartbreak. You hear stories of loss, of brokenness. Their suffering has created a level of intimacy with God that's beyond what most of us can experience. And uh, I actually think that's part of the reason why the American church is kind of nah, weak. <laughs> because we don't have to suffer for our faith. It's lazy. We don't exercise it. God doesn't have to reveal himself to us because we already have all we need. Our faith is never exercised. But that being said, you're going to experience some level of hardship. Some level. You can't avoid it. You can't avoid it forever. Many of us try, but something will happen. Uh, some even will befall you, and there may become a time when you're going to be at a crossroads and you have to choose a path of self-denial and sacrifice or indulgence. Everyone's going to suffer. But I want you to remember this. And I know I say this all the time. It's probably, I don't, I never even said this before I started preaching here, but God loves you too much to let evil have the last word, right? Suffering is hard. It is painful. It is brutal. It is unfair. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things God works for the goods of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. It means that whatever befalls us, whatever suffering we may experience, God loves us too much for it to have the last word in lives. God will use that. Because Jesus is the last word in a Christian's life. Jesus is our hope in the midst of suffering. Right? Jesus is our redemption after suffering. Jesus is our love and joy and peace and patience. It's he who called us, and he's the one that's working together, working together to make all those things good, all those broken things, makes the graves in the gardens, picking up those broken, wounded pieces of our lives and building it into something stronger and something better. 
and as Christ told his disciples in, in John's gospel, in this world, you will have many troubles, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Church, my encouragement to you is that you can trust that. You can believe that. You can hope in that. And you can stay in that. Let's pray. God, you are good. And it's hard to say sometimes. But teach us how to remember you even when we feel far away. Teach us how to remember in your love, even if at the moment we may not feel close to it, to it. But teach us to know that you're still at work, that you still want to show yourself to us, that you're still loving us, and that you're there for us, not against us waiting for us patiently, working to turn graves into gardens, to make something beautiful out of us. Lord, we love you. Teach us to love you. Teach us to follow you. In Christ's name, amen. Worship team.